Definitely the privilege is mine. I'm so thankful, uh, friends, to be here this morning, be able to share the word with you. Uh, Pastor Kevin, um, man, we have a, an amazing friend and pastor in Pastor Kevin. I got to know Pastor Kevin uh, 15 years ago when we came to the church, uh, Calvary Chapel South, when we were in the, the old school building. And um, it was funny, when we came we, my wife and I were praying, Lord, where are we supposed to be? What church are we supposed to be a part of? And we came to a service at uh, Calvary Chapel South, and we're sitting clear in the back as far as you could get. We had a, a young daughter at the time, and we were praying, Lord, just have someone come meet us. You know, something so simple as that. And after service, uh, someone walked down from the stage that they were doing worship, came and sat next to us and, and said, hey, how are you? You know, what's your name? And so... We felt like the Lord was just inviting us in. And then I remember that Wednesday, uh, Pastor Kevin was going through the book of Isaiah, Wednesday nights, verse by verse. And I was sitting in the front row. And after service, uh, he didn't know me from anybody. And I, I walked up to him and I said, Pastor Kevin, I just need to know the Lord. I want to know the word. I want to be used by God. And he invited me in. And um, he's been a, a, my father in the faith uh, since that time. We, we went out uh, from this fellowship about three years later, planted a church in Anchorage, Alaska, and Pastor Kevin has been up to see us, him and Charlotte, probably five or six times. Uh, he's taught at our um, uh, ministry gatherings that we had in Anchorage, pastors conferences that we had, men's ministry events, brought up a team of uh, 50 uh, of you all to do a VBS and those types of things. Matter of fact, Carl's wearing a shirt from that morning. He brought that in today. So many fond memories. We've been here a long time, been connected. And so I'm so thankful to be back. The Lord has brought us back, and, and we just are so thankful to be a part of this fellowship, a sweet fellowship. And uh, I count it absolutely a privilege to be here with you this morning and share the word with you. We're going to be in John chapter 14, if you want to uh, open your Bibles there. The passage I, I titled... Uh, the believer's help and hope. The believer's help and hope. But I want to begin, um, keep your thumbs in John 14. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we could get one for you. Uh, I, I think it's so important. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing by the word of God as we're looking at the word. We're hearing it, ingesting it. That's how God moves and, and, and orders our lives. That's how he speaks to us. And um, Anyways, I, I crack open your Bibles. Also, turn to Psalm 121. Keep your thumb in 14, John 14 and, and Psalm 121. We're going to have it up on the screen, but man, read it in front of you. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither, neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Father, we are thankful for this morning. What an honor it is to have you here in us and with us, among us. 
We thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be called children of God through the death of your son. Thank you that our sin is gone. It has been uh, erased. We've been pardoned completely. We've been given your grace. We're saved by your grace, by trusting in you, in the finished work of your son on the cross. And we are so thankful and grateful. I pray this morning, God, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us like only you can. Show us your help and the hope that is in you. Lord, renew and refresh minds who have maybe forgotten that. And for those who may be here today who do not know you, Lord, reveal the hope and help that only you can bring. And we commit it all to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist, David, wrote this psalm. And as you can imagine, probably going through a difficult time. Just from the words, it's like, I, I'm, I'm looking to the mountains, I'm looking to the hills. Where does my help come from? How many times are we in that position to where we're like, where else do I look for help? The, the disciples found themselves in this position in John 14. As you look through John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's a it's 24-hour period uh, before Jesus Christ would be arrested. Well, he'd be betrayed. He'd be arrested. He would be crucified on the cross, laid in the tomb, 24-hour period of time. And in John chapter 13, uh, well, I should, I should step back just a moment. Um, actually, I'm not going to. John chapter 13, look in verse 33. Just kind of a recap of what the disciples were probably going through. He says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another as I've loved you, that you also have love for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. That's just a little bit of, of what, what is going on in the disciples. They're in the upper room, having that Passover meal before Jesus would be arrested. Now, if you read the rest of that account, you find that Jesus would talk about someone who was going to betray him, a betrayer. There's a betrayer in the room. There's 13 people in this room, and one of you is going to betray me. Could you imagine what that would feel like? The disciples, as you read the other accounts, they're asking, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Isn't there that element of betrayal in each one of us to where we might question? It's like, is there a possibility, Lord, that it's me? So that's one thing. And then Jesus said, you will all be made to stumble for my sake. There's going to be a denial to some degree in each one of them. You will all be made to stumble. And that's where Peter replies, hey, if even everyone else is made to stumble, I would never do it. And Jesus says, Peter, before the crow, the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. So there's a denial. There's a, a betrayal. And then Jesus says, and by the way, I'm leaving. 
Oh my goodness. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus said that he was going to be leaving. There were several times throughout the Gospels where he said, I will be uh, taken up and I will be uh, betrayed. I will be taken up by the chief priest. I will be crucified. And, and he mentions that several times. And even, you know, uh, Peter had said, not, not so, Lord. I mean, so they, they had heard this before, but it hadn't sunk in. What a, what a serious and sober moment that this is. And then not only this, but Jesus then will go up to the Garden of Gethsemane as, as you read through the, the accounts, and he'll be praying in the garden and be sweating, as it were, drops of blood as he's in such agony. Can you imagine what the disciples are feeling? This man was like no other man the world had ever seen. He was the one who spoke with authority. He was... <laughs> God in human flesh. God in human flesh came. He ministered. He healed. He touched. He spoke. He was always there, a constant companion. When Jesus was around, there was no trouble. Jesus is in the boat, right? And, and they're all freaking out. He's laying there asleep. And, and they're like, Lord, can't you see we're dying in this? And he stands up and, ma'am, the, the sea is calm. It wasn't like the rest of the bath, you know, settling down. It was, boom, instantaneous. The wind, totally gone. All of a sudden, they find themselves screeching up on the, on the beach, you know, at their position, where they, were, where they were going. The demoniac, you know, he runs out of the tombs. This guy that they had chained up, and they tried to restrain him and his uh, fellow you know, that were there. But you read the, the one account of the man who, who was scarred up because of years of this demonic possession and Jesus with the word cast this these legion of demons out of this man and he presents himself he's in his right mind totally sober and he's asking can I come with you Lord I mean who else can do that when Jesus was around everything was great now he says I'm dis I'm leaving I'm going away by the way there's a denier you will always all will deny me to some degree or another and there's a betrayer here Super difficult time. I don't know what place you've been in, but I know that we've all been in this place where I don't know where to go. I don't know what to think. It seems like my world is caving in around me. And that's kind of what I want to go with this. In, in John chapter 14, the believer's help and hope as we're going to make our way through this passage. I want to just kind of highlight elements of hope and help. Um, the eternal hope the hope for the future where Jesus is taking us, that, that this isn't the end of the line for those who believe. And then also the current help. There, there's a present help. Psalm 46, God is a refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, David didn't really have an understanding of the Holy Spirit in that sense. We have this New Testament where, where Jesus, when he was crucified and died and buried. When a person believes on that, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And so now we can rightly say, God, you are with me. You live within me, inside my body. David was looking to the hills, and we can look up, and David looked at the stars as he said, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? I want us to think this morning in terms of God who is in us who is with us, who will never depart, who will never leave. And then also have a perspective of eternity. 
because we could all slip into it at the very, I mean, one of us may not make it home tonight, this afternoon. So anyways, I'm asking the Lord to bring help and hope through this passage. Take a look, if you would, beginning in verse 1. All of this is that context. Jesus, you know, now there was no chapter and verse divisions in this writing. It's it's just one continuous uh, papyrus or animal hide, and it was was, uh, um, just a story that's moving on. A historical account, I should say. It's not just a story. This is a historical account, eyewitness account. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verses 1 through 6, I called the believer's hope, future reunion with Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? What a hope that we have in Jesus that there is a future reunion with Jesus, not only with Jesus, but all the loved ones who's gone on before. Now, Jesus was departing, but he says, you know what? I'm going away, but I'm coming back to take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So these are words to the disciples now. Judas is gone. He departed. Satan had entered him, and he took off. So this is to the disciples. This is to you and me if we are disciples. And look how he begins. Do not let your heart be troubled. I love the fact that God says, do not fear, do not be troubled of heart, all the way through the scriptures. Why? Because we are troubled. And we do have fears. But he doesn't, you know, again, I'd like to see the YouTube on Jesus' face when he says this. Or when the Lord is speaking to Joshua. He's not like, do not be troubled. Do not fear. You know, fear is, you know, he's not like that. He's like a father to a young son. Hey, don't be troubled. Don't be fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. The operative word in this whole entire passage and throughout the New Testament is belief. Faith. Now, if, if I could be so bold this morning, I would like to interchange the word believe and faith with trust because that's essentially what it is. Sometimes there's this misteaching about faith, having faith in faith and some faith you gotta build up. No, it's trust. It's trust in the Lord. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust in him for eternal life? Are you trusting him day to day for provision, for wisdom, for understanding, for preservation? Are you trusting in the Lord? He says, you believe in God, no doubt about it, but trust in me, trust in me. Trust in my words, trust in everything I've told you for these three and a half years. Trust in the fact that uh, the power that you've seen demonstrated and also that I know best. Do you believe that, that Jesus knows best? That the Father knows best? Trust in me. A boy was once flying a kite and the passerby looking up, you know, he saw this kid doing this and, and the guy walks by and says, what are you doing? And uh, 
the boy says, well, I'm, I'm flying my kite. And the, and the man says, well, you can't see it. And he says, no, I, I can't see it, but I can feel the tug. <laughs> you know, you ever flown a kite where there's tugging? We were up in Anchorage one time. We, we thought it'd be a good idea. There's this uh, place by the ocean and uh, thought it'd be a fun time to take some kites over there. Man, the kids were little, strapped them to a kite, and it's like dragging them down the hill, you know, skipping along behind. But the tug, the tug, those who know Jesus, his spirit identifies with our spirit that we're children of God. There, there's a tug of trust that we believe, that we know, that we know, that we know that we have eternal life. Jesus, John said, I've written these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not something I hope. Hope, the word hope in our culture is like, man, I I hope I win the lotto. No, hope in the Bible is an earnest expectation. I know, I know absolutely because what what God has said about himself, the authority of his word, that he is true. So believe also in me. He says there in my father's house are many mansions. Jesus knew more about the father's house than anybody else. He's going to the Father's house. Many mansions could actually be translated dwelling places or abiding places, eternal abiding places. How many of you guys are sick of moving? <laughs> I got sick of moving. Boxes and box. Guess what? We're going to a place where there's an eternal abiding area, a rest. Some have also translated this and, and considered this new bodies, dwelling places, not made by hands, eternal in the heavens, new bodies, new dwelling places. Either way, you look in the book of Revelation, there's no need for sun, there's no darkness because the lamb is the light of heaven. If you don't, like, if you don't love Jesus, heaven is not a place for you because he's, he's always there, he's ever present. It's all about him. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, where, how is he going to prepare a place? Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, four, Jesus talks about uh, the dissension where he's coming back and he's going, to, uh, he's going to snatch the believers up in this word we call, this event we call the rapture. Harpazo is the Greek word, being snatched up. He's going to prepare a place and he's coming back to take his church with him and we will always be with the Lord in First Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13. He's coming, he's, he's preparing a place for us, you know, after his ascension up into heaven, after 40 days being on earth, he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is currently, seated there. He's interceding, he's praying. But he's also preparing a place. And, you know, Jesus was a carpenter, so he's, he's got a pretty good, good eye, you know, eye for things. Obviously, 2,000 years of preparation. But the other way that he prepared a way for us is through his death. How, how could we ever get to heaven unless Jesus died in our place, he took our place. So he has prepared a place, is preparing a place currently, and the reason is so that where he is, we can be also. There's no access to heaven apart from the atoning death of Jesus Christ, dying in our place. It's beautiful. So he says, believe in me. My father's house are many mansions, and I'm not gonna make something up. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And he says, uh, where I go you know and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way 
the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many of you guys have memorized that verse? <clears throat> I am the way, the truth. How many of you ever thought it through, though? I'm sitting there thinking about it. I've quoted that verse a million times and, and kind of thinking it through. Think of it this way. If I don't know where to go, if I don't know what to do, if I don't know how to get right with God, if I don't know how to get rid of my shame and my guilt and the awful things that I have done, Jesus says, I'm the way. It's not in a system. It's not in a religion. It's not in a self-help book. It's not in positive confession. Jesus is the way. He's the only way to the Father. The truth. He says, I am the truth. If I don't know what to believe, if I don't know who to trust or what to hope in, if I don't have a foundation, where's my foundation for belief? Where do I put my worldview? How do I adopt, you know, ideas about things? Well, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Later on, the Spirit of God is going to be called the Spirit of truth, meaning that he only talks about truth. He doesn't talk about feelings. He's not the spirit of feelings. He's the spirit of truth. We've got to remember that. Feelings come, but truth is that thing that is always, uh, it's not subjective. We have an objective truth, meaning in every condition, in every possible scenario, Jesus is truth. The word of God is truth. It's not subject to change. He says, I am the truth. And then he says, um, and the life. The idea, if I can't go any further, if I have nothing inside, I've been there, have you? I got nothing else. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm weary, I'm drying up. I feel hopeless. Life is empty and pointless. Yet I'm so afraid of death. You need Jesus because he is the life. He is the life. There is no life apart from him. There's no joy apart from him. There's no meaning apart from Jesus. He is isn't it amazing that we can find all of these things in a person? We can go one place, the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Believe in me, he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Verse seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Probably with a smile on his face. Hey, has Philip not seen enough already? My goodness, right? Show us the Father. That would be good. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I just said in verse 7 through 11, the believer's hope, Jesus is the express image of the Father. There's a well-known pastor recently who said that we should just toss out the Old Testament because it's too hard to defend God. Well, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That seems kind of crazy. I think that's way outside of anything we should be doing. 
But I think it should be a great encouragement and hope to us that Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you want to know what the God the Father is, look at Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews, uh, I don't have it up on the screen, but in Hebrews chapter 1, I'll read it to you. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And being the brightness of his glory, Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person. If you pick a coin out of your pocket and you see the image on there, Jesus is that impression of the Father. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Amazing. Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. What a great hope that there's not like this this father who's, you know, so different and, 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 and separated from Jesus. Some people say, well, I like just the God of the New Testament. Again, Jesus Christ is just as God as God the Father. God the Son is just as God as God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is just as God as God the Son. God the Father is just as God as God the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. They're all equal in power. Now, there's a doctrine out there. It's a oneness doctrine that says that Jesus is only one sort of picture of God. And whenever Jesus is needed, that's when God sort of depicts himself in that way on the scene. And and that is totally false. When you look in the scriptures, it's very clear that Jesus is being baptized the Father is expressing his, his pleasure in the Son and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. There's so much that could be said here. But, but just know that we have a God who's a triunity. And God the Father is no less God than God the Son. God the Spirit lives within you and is no less God than God the Father. That is powerful truth. That is true truth. And Jesus says, believe it. Believe it. Not think about it and wrestle with it. Hey, believe it. Changes everything. So the believers hope Jesus is the express image of the Father. We have an advocate, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, but also we have a helper who lives within us. Crazy. Look in verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I, I do, he will, also, uh, will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. L- listen to that. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Some have taken that scripture, ripped it out of context, and falsely taught that you can ask anything that you want, and God is basically a cosmic genie to provide all of your wants. It is false doctrine. It's not true. The, The context here is that the Father may be glorified. That the Father may be glorified. Your will be done in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. That was the model prayer. And so it makes sense then, if this is going to glorify the Father and bring glory to God, then I can ask those things knowing that it's God's will because he's already placed it in my heart to pray those things. The psalmist said, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
When I first came to Christ, I, definitely, I was born again. I was born again. The Spirit of God came upon me. One day, alcohol was out of my life. I was an alcoholic, and the Lord delivered me in one day. There's other struggles that continue on perpetually, right, till I die, but, but that was one of those things. And when, when I, I was born again, I, I, we didn't have sense enough to get into church. My wife came to Christ about six months later, and I was ordering everything I could off of you know, websites and trying to figure out how to study this Bible. And I began to just read. I, I had this huge Bible I'd carry around. You know, and, and I found that as I was delighting myself in the Lord, which I found out later was actually just learning and growing in him, my desires began to change. And I used to be an absolute recluse. I was a ranch manager on a 300,000-acre uh, ranch, and my my. The best day would be out with my horse and my dog all by myself. I was like, yeah, this is the life. God gave me a, a desire for people and a love for people. I delighted myself in the Lord. He gave me the desires of my heart. Then I began to pray in the way that God would want me to pray. And guess what? He answers prayer, right? So if our prayers are not being answered, now obviously there's the will of God some things, you know, I, I, I'm resigned to the fact that God is God and I'm not. He's wise and I look through a glass dimly. I, can, I, I have a very limited view of what's going on. He sees the big picture. Guess what? He's got an eternal perspective, not a temporal one like us. We get impatient if our phone doesn't hop on the internet in five seconds. God is absolutely patient, right? He's willing that none should perish. So, uh, we have a hope that our prayers will be answered. God's will is that our prayers be answered, but his will is that our wills would be his will that would be done on earth. And that's a beautiful thing. When we get aligned with God and his will for our lives and his will according to this book, we will see God move in ways that unimaginable. The believer's hope answered prayer. Now he says greater works. I think there's some confusion here and I, 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 I want to sort of bring some clarity to this, I pray. I think many times people have taught this that greater works are more sensational works than Jesus. That somehow I'm supposed to get out there and part the ocean. You know, I'm supposed to heal everybody in a hospital as I go through it. That's not what Jesus is talking about, I believe. I don't think it's more sensational or more powerful or more notable. I would say more numerable in the multiplicity of believers. Think about on Pentecost. Peter, the first time he stands up and actually says something. Well, I guess he's, Jesus said, flesh and blood's not uh, relayed this to you, Peter. You know, there's something that he expressed that was very godly early on. But he stands up and he gives this message. And 3,000 people are saved on Pentecost. And then the believers multiply, 8,000 and 12,000, depending on women and children. The church spreads. Philip is down in Samaria preaching. A revival breaks out there. Paul in, uh, in Ephesus. And, and, and Amazing. Now there's a, a billion people on earth who named the name of Christ. Jesus was relegated to a human, one human body. Of course, the, the works are going to be greater. Of course. Not more sensational. 
not more powerful, not more notable, but certainly more in number. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. When the church gets together, the church, not the building, the church, you and me, when we get together and our hearts are aligned with God's will, things happen. And sometimes, you know, it's not exactly how we'd want it to happen. But the Spirit, what? He intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. So when our hearts are open, we can be assured that we're praying earnestly for God's will. And sometimes it rocks our world because we may not be fully in the will of God. But we can have that assurance. Our hope is answered prayer. Look in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I want to clarify, this is not the Ten Commandments. He's talking about his word in general, which is way more broad than that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, a true love for Jesus is one that's submitted to his will, a born-again believer. Again, my will is going to be the will of God. Of course, I'm going to be more in line with God's will and his word. It's going to be more of a desire that I have. I'm going to have more desire for holiness. How many of you guys know when you're out of the word and you're out of fellowship, your carnality meter starts rising? You're more carnal. You're more divisive. You're more whatever. If you love me, keep my commandments. Look at this at verse 16. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper. This is for the believer, the lover of Jesus, right? The helper, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Another, another helper, the, the ancient Greek word here is allos, which means of the same kind or same material. It's not like an apple or an orange. It's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's an apple and an apple. Another helper. Yeah, granted, you can't reach out and touch the Holy Spirit like you could Jesus, but he's just as tangible, he's just as real. Jesus talked about Nicodemus in John chapter three, talking about the one who's born again of the Spirit. You must be born again. Unless you're born again, you shall not receive the kingdom of God. And all of you guys know, living in the Northwest, the windstorms come, and where we live, there's these giant cedar trees around. The wind starts blowing those cedar trees, blowing around. I can't see the wind, but I can see all the impact of it, all the effects of it. It's an amazing thing to me to see these giant cedar trees topple at this wind that's invisible. It's funny, these cedar trees, uh, one fell down before we left for Anchorage years ago, and the the root base was like, I don't know, 15-foot diameter, but it was only about this deep. (laughs) Like, that isn't well-rooted for how big this tree is. But the wind is a powerful force, and so is the Holy Spirit, blowing through our lives, changing, molding, shaping, moving outwardly among us. He may abide with you forever. Jesus is going away. The Holy Spirit has the ability, you know, If I told you that Jesus was in the prayer room praying for each one of you today, you could go back and see him. There'd be a huge line. Hey, Jesus, you want to come home with me? No, I'm taking him home. You know, it's like he can only be in one place at one time. He limited himself. He he laid down his divine privileges. He didn't become not God. It's kind of like my car keys. You know, it's like Jesus has the keys to the kingdom. He didn't toss them away. 
right? He put them in his pocket. His omnipresence, he relegated, said, I'm, 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 I'm staying in human flesh here. I'm relegating myself to a, a human body. And there's certain elements that he did that in. The Holy Spirit, though, may abide with you forever. He's with you right now. If you know Jesus Christ, he's living within your body. When you leave, when you get up, when you, when you go in your deepest, darkest times, he's with you. The spirit of truth. He's not the spirit of feelings. He's not the spirit of error. He aligns himself with the word of God. If you're believing in something and trusting in something that is disputed by the word of God, it is not the Holy Spirit. It's not. He points to truth. He points to the truth, Jesus Christ. The world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him, of course, right? Look at the world that we live in. Up is down, back is front, left is right. It's totally sideways and backwards, and the world can't see it. Does it is it any wonder that we see things so differently from the world? We're like, how can you not see that? I remember when I first got saved, man, my mind was just so changed and transformed. I, I was thinking at that time we had a fish, and look at that fish swimming around in a bowl, you know, and I was looking in and seeing this fish, and the thought crossed my mind, that's kind of like how I am now. It's kind of like the world is swimming around in circles. It thinks that it's got this huge area, you know. The goldfish thinks he's got an ocean to swim in, you know, and, and food just drops out of the sky and everything is fine. But I'm looking at him, and I'm like, dude, you're like in this little tiny bowl, and, you know, if I wanted to, I could just flush you in a second. <laughs> but that's kind of like how it is. So to point out to an unbeliever elements of their sin is ridiculous. They don't understand. They need the gospel so that their eyes would be illuminated. It doesn't, tell any, it doesn't do any good to tell someone, well, you really shouldn't talk that way. Why not? They don't know any different. They need the good news of Jesus Christ. Their mind needs to be renewed and changed. When someone is born again to the Spirit, you don't have to convince them of these things. When they're growing in the Lord, hey, God just does it. Neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Our theological position is that the Holy Spirit resides with every person on earth, convincing them, trying to convict them and bring them to Jesus Christ. Then when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives within you. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's the, the ancient Greek word con is with. Then you have in, E-N, the ancient Greek word, is to be within the believer. And then at Pentecost, and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's the epi, come upon. So in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When Jesus says that and breathes on you, I, I'm pretty convinced it happens. I think that was the born again experience by the believers. Same with us. He dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This is the triunity of God in action. Jesus coming, in a sense, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's one with the Father. The Spirit is one with Jesus. 
You see how this is working out? Can I really explain it and define it clearly? Not really. But you see, see it taught in the scriptures all through. I won't leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. It's to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Anybody who's born again knows that they are born again. If you ask a person, they have this doubt, this question. Always probe them. What's, what's the basis of your faith? You know, why, if you stand before God, why should he let you in? Get down to the nitty gritty. Find out what people believe. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. How many times he has to say that? <laughs> Jesus repeats himself because it's important. When God has to, you know, it's like when, when uh, you repeat yourself or when you heard your mom or dad repeat something over and over, it means something, right? Jesus repeats himself over and over. Love for the Father equates to obedience and acknowledgement of his word. And my Father will love him. And we, look, look at this, we will come to him and make our home with him. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Incredible. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The believers help the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a power. He's a person. He is used here. The pronoun he. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. He is a he just as much as Jesus is a he, just as much as the Father. And, and by the way, God has, in his word, revealed himself as masculine, and he makes no apology for it. We live in a culture that has blended and mixed and twisted genders, and we should be looking to the word of God as the truth, as the truth, and be sharing in love with people, because there's a perversion out there that has twisted and, and perverted things, but... but uh, that's a whole nother thing. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The believer's help, teaching and recollection. There are things of God, the word of God needs to be taught to you by the Holy Spirit. Now, some have taken this verse and said, well, I'm not going to listen to any man. That's wrong because the Lord has given pastors and teachers and people to encourage believers ministering one to another the word of God. So the Lord uses people to minister through the Holy Spirit. But then there are also those times alone with the Lord where God himself, the Holy Spirit, will encourage and teach and bring illumination upon a passage or a circumstance and I pray that we are looking and seeking for this time every day because we need it. The Holy Spirit will teach and lead. And uh, he says 
He will teach all things and bring to your remembrance. I love Pastor Kevin in a, in, for many reasons, but one of the reasons I appreciate him so much is this guy is full of the word of God. And anybody who has listened to Pastor Kevin teach, the Holy Spirit just bubbles up verses in him constantly. Why? Because he's hidden God's word in his heart. The Lord will bring to remembrance and recollection the things that you have downloaded. He will bring them up at those periods of time. That's why it's so important that we are immersed in the word. Time, deep times of temptation, God will bring a word. Times of, of fear, God will bring a word. Times where you need to encourage somebody, God will bring a word. God will bring illumination to circumstances and, and uh, in ways that, that is unbelievable. But he is the one who teaches and will bring to remembrance things. And then verse 27 through 31, the believer's hope, peace, and prophecy. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And I will no longer talk uh, much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do arise, let us go from here. My peace I give to you, uh, my peace I leave to you, not the world. The world's peace, I know, before I came to Jesus, was found in a, two shots of Yukon Jack and about a 12-pack of beer. Why? Because I would be desensitized into all the mess that I was in. Oh, yeah, I'm having a great time. My peace I give to you, Jesus says, not the world. He is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9. Don't you love that? Almighty, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Counselor, Wonderful Counselor. What more do we need than Jesus? My peace I give to you, not that the world gives. When we're seeking peace from the world, we will not be receptive to the peace of God that surpasses what? Surpasses knowledge. These guys were in difficult circumstances. Jesus gave this promise that we don't, that the name and claimers don't like to claim. In this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> Anyone want to claim that one? It's true. We're going to have trouble until the day that we die. But we can, even though we're living in turbulent times, troublesome seasons, Jesus says, I give you my peace. I give you my peace. Not that the world gives, but my peace I give to you. And I leave with you. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, this is not a psychological, you know, trying to, to, to deceive ourselves into believing something. This is God the Holy Spirit moving and blowing upon those parts of our lives that need a touch. And we're really seeking him and drawing near to him. Then God will bring peace that surpasses knowledge. I'm going away and coming back to you. He's coming back first, right, in his resurrection. He's coming back secondly in the person of the Holy Spirit in that sense. He's coming back for the believers in the rapture. So absolutely, he is coming back. 
If you love me, you'd rejoice because I'm going to my Father. My goodness, what an amazing truth. If he's going to his Father, he's building this place for us. He's going to bring us to himself. The helper's going to be sent. We have him currently. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Believe the word of God because he has foretold things in it to validate his claims. There's no, other, there's no other book on the planet that foretells the future and validates the claims of God and says, and the Lord lays it out there clearly. Cyrus is, I mean, there's a million, you know, 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ alone that he said beforehand that he has fulfilled and going to fulfill in the future. The nation of Israel is that shining beacon to the world that says God is true. The believer's hope Peace and prophecy. Now, as we kind of finish up today, this morning, I want to just give that opportunity. I don't know if anybody here has not experienced the peace of God. Do you know that if you were to die this very day, if you would be in the presence of Jesus? I know that there are lots of difficult physical circumstances in this congregation. And in my own family, I know there are tragedies. Do you know for certain that you, if you were to die today, would be in the presence of Jesus? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All these things are available, peace and hope in Jesus by trust. So if you'd bow your heads, if you would, if there's anybody here that you would say, I don't know for sure. And I want to surrender my life today. I believe that you are the way and the truth and the life, even though I don't really understand it all. There's a, a, something resonating in my heart that I do know that this is true. I want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you just slip up your hand, I'd like to acknowledge you Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. It's just a, a measure of trust in saying, Lord, I'm putting myself out there. I want to, I, I need a change. And Jesus, you are the way. I need to be born again. I need my sin and my shame to be dealt with. I, you are the only way. If there's anybody here who'd like to do that, just slip up your hand and I'd like to acknowledge you here. Today is the day of salvation. For the believer, as the disciples were there, the believers. It's an opportunity to acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways, in a different way, a fresh new way that you have maybe never done before. Instead of looking to the hills and to the skies and saying, God, you're so grand and so beautiful and so big, but are you really close? Say, Lord, I want to be more aware of your presence with me. We don't have to 
enter into his presence. We don't need to go anywhere because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We simply need to acknowledge him. Can we acknowledge the Lord together? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The Holy Spirit, he lives, dwells within the believer. He's among us as Jesus walking among the lampstands is among us. If anybody would like to take some time and pray, there are these people on the outside here that would love to just take some special time and pray with you. As we sing this last song, would you stand and just have in your heart this idea that, God, you are with me. Jesus, you are with me. Your Holy Spirit is living within me. Can we stand together as we sing this last song?